0: Yes, Pastor and I met in nursery school. <laughs> Good morning, beloved. What a wonderful place this is. Thank you for your kind hospitality, for hosting, and fellowshipping, Brother Rob and Miss Sylvia. It's been wonderful. It's just been wonderful to be with all of you. And I do love Sister Valerie like a daughter, like a sister, really. She's very, very precious to me and means a lot to me and and I admire so much your pastor, and I'm a better man being here for these three or four days just hanging around him. He's just a good guy. He's got the fruit of the spirit of goodness, but he's one of those guys that kind of makes you sick because he's got five talents. This guy can change the transmission, a head gasket, cook, great cook. I mean, and I don't know if you know that, but he's a phenomenal cook. can build a house. You know what I can do? This right here. That's all I got. That's it. <laughs> That's it. If this goes down, so so goes the ship. <laughs> Oh, it's great to be with you. I I have a message for you this this morning, and when I pray, I ask the Lord to give me um, some specifics for people, and and I pray for people, people that I've never met in the audiences that I, I go to. A few weeks ago in Washington, North Carolina at the hotel, I felt like the Lord told me to pray for somebody that was in such great pain that their personality changes because of the pain. And so at the altar call, after everybody was prayed for, one staff member came up, a lady I didn't know, and she says, I'm in great pain. I said to her, has your personality changed? And she just broke into tears. because that that's the Holy Spirit. He knows everything, right? Doesn't he know everything? Well, I prayed for you. And I felt like the Lord gave me something for the whole church. And um, I don't really know understand exactly. But when I was praying, I saw a picture in my mind of a... Uh, of someone trying to start a campfire with two rocks. You've seen that before, when, and there's a spark. I just saw that very very vividly. Maybe, maybe it's because I got lost in the woods during a hike yesterday, and I felt like maybe I had to try to lean against a, a tree and survive. But I walked in somebody's yard and did a GPS, and we were okay. But the, but what I saw was uh, these, this spark, and, and I felt like the message from the Lord was to keep having service, to keep working, to keep having altar calls, to keep firing, and even from my own ministry, keep it up, keep it up. And one day there'll be a spark that's going to spread like crazy. It's going to start a fire that you, that's going to be unbelievable. I believe that for this church. And the spark today might be somebody who gives their life to Jesus. What the biggest, and he's probably or she's probably not in the room today, but what if the biggest drug dealer in Muskegon, Michigan walked an old-fashioned aisle and gave their heart to Jesus. Would that be a spark that would start a fire and get people's attention? That's a spark. I'm going to give an invitation today, and I have a revelation from last year that people aren't afraid to respond to invitations. They don't get embarrassed by that. Have you looked at Facebook lately? People take pictures of themselves in front of toilets. They don't get embarrassed by nothing. They don't get embarrassed... However, the hesitation and the embarrassment is, what if I raise my hand or stand or even walk to an aisle today because I know I need him. I know I need to be taken to the king. But on Thursday, I lose my mind in a Walmart parking lot because somebody stole my parking place. Then everybody's going to know I'm a phony. Can we just take a pass on all that Thursday stuff and say today is the day of salvation? I'd like you to visit the resource table today. I, I support missions, and I, I told the group Wednesday that I support a Michigan missionary, and that was a lie. I, I analyzed it and looked at it again, and I don't support one Michigan missionary. I support two mission, Michigan missionaries. Uh, we Our ministry does it, $100 a month. The Pasquale's in Italy. And then Jason Forsman, you guys are tremendous at reaching people on the high school campus in the state of Michigan. I like to invest in that, and the way we do it is through the resource table. So if you don't think I'm any good in these thirty-five minutes, buy my stuff. Ain't no sense in both of us going home disappointed. Does that make sense? Just kidding. Two books and there and I run Teen Challenge stories through these these two books. So I'm glad to see the Teen Challenge guys. In fact, this one on the family, I wrote with the Global Teen Challenge director, Dr. Jerry Nance. He wanted me to write a book with him because I'm so dysfunctional in my background, but for my Kids, all four of my children love God. They're in the ministry. They're serving the Lord. They're tithing. And, and he wanted to give hope to his Teen Challenge graduates from the southeast region and around the world. So we have a lot of funny, crazy stories and some practical principles. And then I talk about transformation and change. If you don't know what needs to change in your life, ask your spouse right now. Just, just add, is there anything on earth they may have a list that they've been waiting on this very moment to produce? All of us need to change something. None of us have arrived. And so I, on the way to Michigan, many years ago, on the way to doing family camps in Michigan, the Lord just unfolded this book like a road map. It was a sermon first and became a book. If you want to make a change, you have to start with the diagnosis in the dream. The third chair is most important. And you've got dialogue and direction and discipline and declaration, determinative, destruction of all excuses, and then the display of the transformation and change. But the third chair... Is the most important. Uh, I've got principles in here about um, the declaration chapter. I, I say ten things to the Lord after I pray every time. I did it today in pastor's house. I, I say ten things to the Lord back thirteen years ago when I was pastoring fifty-eight people. I was saying to the Lord, "I'm preaching this gospel to the nation and to the nations, and I'm in the will of God." And I didn't, I didn't go to Hungary and Thailand last year and this coming year because of the support and generosity of churches. Go to Thailand and Hungary and Italy. I'm not going to do all those things because I I have a magic formula speaking it. However, when I began to speak it 13 years ago, I was calibrating my expectation and my faith for what I knew God had called me to do, and I was just ready for it to come, and so it has. $10, $10, $10 for a comedy CD that has very little, little spiritual value at all other than making somebody laugh, which does good like a medicine. So, you know that we're going to have an invitation. And what's going to happen is, as you respond to the invitation, we are going to celebrate people coming to know the Lord. Just real quick before I read from John 18 and John chapter 21, and I'm going to read a lot, so you're going to have to... I'm going to read fast, so you're going to have to listen fast, and I'm not going to preach a long time. I wonder today is uh, my new friend, Adrian, in, in in the service if you all raise your hand I'm going to give you all these books is Adrian here I met him at the gym yesterday he said he might be coming he may have forgotten the name of the church I should have given him some information okay well I get to save save money at lunch because I was going to buy his lunch <laughs> Heavenly Father I thank you for your goodness and your mercy that endureth forever I thank you for the word of the Lord I thank you for the Holy Spirit I thank you Lord that you're doing your work that you're convicting the world of sin righteousness and the judgment to come I thank you for this opportunity. I do not take it lightly because we have to give an account for the things done while in the body, and and we have to give an account as leaders according to Hebrews 13, 17. So I take this very seriously, and I believe for you now to help me preach and prophesy, speak forth what you want to say to these, your people. And I pray that you'll so overwhelmingly love them and compel them to come into the kingdom of heaven that it's irresistible, virtually irresistible. They just want to run to the king. They want to be taken to the king today. I pray for that, Lord. Oh, God, spark a fire in somebody's life today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Well, it was this Monte Carlo that somebody gave me. I grew up poor. I grew up, I grew up so broke down, so broke down that I I couldn't even pay attention. I mean, I had to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and lick other people's fingers. I was a poor, (laughs) poor kid. Two pairs of pants, no vehicle, no hope, of a future. And my grandpa showed up with $2,000 at my graduation from the state of Indiana. He drove all the way to Georgia. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know the whole family together had $2,000. And I bought a a car that looked about like that. It had a moonroof, big wide tires. But it was a lemon. It was a piece of junk. I had to finally beg somebody to buy it for half of what I sold it for. But I digress. I was in this Monte Carlo with my girlfriend 35 years ago. Her name was Cecilia. I married the girl. I call her Cecilia. She's fine. That's how I was with her. And then beside her was a mutual friend named Bonnie. We were driving to Scott Turk's daddy's funeral. He died of cancer at 53. And we we're heading down a hill on Interstate 185 between Manchester Expressway and Macon Road. And the bald tires on that Monte Carlo hit that just lightly drizzled oil from the interstate. And we started spinning like this right here. It's amazing what you think when you think you're going to die. I thought that tomorrow's headline will read Columbus College basketball player dies at the entrance of the college because we were headed towards brick. And all three of us said the same thing at the exact same time. And I quote Jesus! And you don't have to believe me, but 35 years later, I'm still talking about it. It was like a hand out of heaven stopped us. I don't mean we slid to a stop, we rolled, you know, to a stop. We 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 spun to a, It was like a dad stopping a Hot Wheel car on a on a dining room table. It defied the laws of physics. And all three of us young people said the same thing, not at the same time. That was the Lord. That was God. Have you ever looked in the rearview mirror of your life and said the only reason that just happened is because of God? Anybody like that? I have a message today entitled "It's the Lord." Um, and it will be on the screen in another version. When I wrote this PowerPoint, I'm reading through this year the New, New King James. It'll take me a year and a half or so. And so that's why the discrepancy from what I'm reading and what you're seeing. And also, I didn't put all of it on the screen. So you might at some point have to go to your Bible or to your smart device there. John 8, 18, 15. John eighteen fifteen. And Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. And then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. And then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, Hey, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals, fire of coals, fire of coals stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Verse 25, now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, hey, you're not one of the guy's disciples, are you? He denied it with an exclamation point and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, yo, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Chapter 21, Chapter twenty-one, verse 1. I'm going to read fast, so just go ahead and listen fast. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel, and Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, hey, we're going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and they... All that night, they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord he put on his outer garment before he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits or 300 feet, dragging the net with a fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw fire of coals, fire of coals, fire of coals there, and a fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net. The land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come, eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise the fish. Now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon. Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. And when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. And another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. Then Peter, turning around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him. If I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I read this early in the year. I just finished 19 Ebenezer experiences around the country. A two-person drama from the Arkansas hills in an orphanage all the way to the prisons of eastern North Carolina, mega churches in Dallas or Houston, Texas, Appalachian hills and hollers and all through the southeast, and I was exhausted. I was in a spiritually dry place. When I read this passage of Scripture, it was like I had stuck my finger in a light socket. I was alive spiritually when I read those words. It is the Lord. Chapter 18 is a bad chapter. It's horrible. We're talking about be- denial, betrayal, trial, all the legal jug. It's a horrible chapter, but it ain't as bad as chapter 19. Now, chapter 19, they say it's good Friday. I think it's bad Friday. I'm talking about crucifixion. I'm talking about beatings. A Roman lictor hit a Jesus on the back until his literal organs were exposed from the metal and the bone pulling out his tissue. That's a bad, horrible, awful chapter. Then chapter 20, woo, the glorious resurrection chapter. All the appearances, hallelujah. Then chapter 21 comes and shows the Roller-coaster nature of the Christian life, another bad chapter. Simon Peter is filled with the disses and the D's. Have you ever gotten the disses and the D's? He's sitting on a stump. He's discouraged, despondent, disillusioned, disenfranchised, depressed. He's all these things. Very discouraged. And he said, I'm going fishing summer, I was working out before Sunday service in Montgomery, Alabama. and I, You're looking at me like, you work out? Keep your thoughts to yourself. That hurts my feelings. <laughs> I have to work out. i be 800 pounds. I uh, know it's not. I don't, it's, no, you can't tell it. But I was working out listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes. And Bishop Jakes was preaching on this very passage. And he said, now Bishop Jakes is smart. He said, when Peter got off that stump and said, I'm going fishing, It was like him saying, I'm going on an all-night drunk. I'm going on a bender. Because he was not supposed to be fishing for fish anymore. That had already been established. But when you're discouraged and despondent and depressed and and all these things, despairing of life, you get to your Control-Alt-Delete default setting, and his default setting was, "Uh, I'm done with this. I'm going fishing. Notice what the disciples did not say. They did not say, now we are to tear for power from on high. We are to change the world, Peter. How dare you? Shame on you! What did they say? We going with you, bro? Hey, what's up? You going fishing? We going fishing. Fished all night. Fished all night. I love to fish, and I, and I feel under a personal conviction. I told Pastor, it's been decades since I fished. I want to go fishing. I like to put that, that rubber worm right underneath that branch in the Ozark Mountains and get that white bass that fights you. And he talked about some other fish up here that will fight you. I want to go fishing, but I ain't trying to fish all night. Uh, you can do that. Go ahead. Have fun. We moved from the cornfields of Indiana. My grandparents sold a corn farm and went down to, and bought a 60-acre lake full of stumps. And then uh, my dad would say, down in Lumpkin, Georgia, now for a kid from the Midwest, Lumpkin, Georgia looked like, to me, the Nile, full of piranha and crocodiles. I mean, it just was weird, snakes. My dad would say, Joey, do you want to go fish with your uncles? And I were going to fish all night, and I would say at 10 years old, no, I'm going to make a sandwich and live. Y'all go have fun out there. I don't want to die in the water. So they, they fished all night, but they caught no fishes, fished all night. And in the morning, there was a stranger on the bank. Children, notice what he didn't say. Now, if Bishop is right and Peter's on a bender in the middle of the Tiberius Sea, he didn't say, reprobates, backsliders, weirdos. He said, children. 1 John 3.1, how great the Father's love that he hath lavished on us that we would be called the children of God. Let me tell you something, ladies. You don't have to really do a lot of research to understand men. We're kind of like dogs. You know, Pastor got a dog. You scratch that dog behind the ear, take it out, let it play in the woods, give it meat. You got a dog figured out. You got a dog figured out. Women are a little more like cats. I mean, I can pet a cat and be gone for three and a half weeks. Where'd the cat go? I don't know where the cat is. I put a leash on a cat to walk it one time in West Virginia. Even in West Virginia, people were saying, look at that idiot. He's got a leash on a cat. It was, it was spinning like it was in The Exorcist. <laughs> you don't have to figure this out. I, I want you to know, ladies, that men are competitive by nature. There are very few men that are not competitive. That's why when you, you go on a date with your boyfriend or your husband, and the light turns green and he peels out, and you say, we're not even late to the, to the dinner reservation. And he says, well, this guy's trying to beat me off the line. I can't let that happen. Caught myself doing it this summer down south. Just racing. Looked it over. as a 90-year-old woman. I'm like, back it up, 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 back it up. She didn't even know she was speeding. Children, have you any fish? Now, that's a great question. When well, somebody says, hey, old buddy, how they biting over there? How they biting? How they biting if you've caught a fish? That's a great question because you can pick up that fish and say, I don't know. This fish is so big my muscles are quivering. Does this look good to you? It seems like it's a good fish to me. But if you ain't caught any fish, <laughs> hey, buddy, how they biting over there? Catching any fish? The answer's no. In Spanish, no. In French, no. In Russian, yet. Yeah. In sign language, no. And so the stranger on the bank says, throw your net on the right side. Now, I heard a guy in Arkansas tell me about this passage. You no, know, I went over to the Holy Land. I'll tell you why Jesus said that. Because when you stand up there on that rock, you can see where all the schools of fish are. And I told him, shut up. <laughs> He's God standing on. You think God knows where all the fish are? He's the resurrected Lord. I bet he knows where the fish are. <laughs> Throw your fish on the right side. Now, if you know something about Simon Peter, who had cut a man's ear off in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know that he probably wasn't real compliant. Oh, sure, let us comply with the stranger on the bank and throw our nets on the right side. We haven't been out here fishing all night. I fish myself half naked. But that guy, he knows everything about everything. Just go ahead, shut his mouth up, and throw it on the right side. And when they did that, and that net went from zero to 153 in 2.1 seconds, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, whichever way you want to interpret him, if he was arrogant, the disciple whom Jesus loved, or whether he was so humble that he couldn't put his name in with the rest of the guys, he was just another guy loved by God. But John bends over and says, that stranger right over there, that stranger 300 feet away, that stranger that we can't recognize, it is the Lord. What must Peter be feeling as he jumps into the water as they take him to the king. What is going on in his mind? I just came by Muskegon to tell you that there are seasons and times where you need to recognize the presence of Jesus. First Chronicles 16:11 says, Seek the Lord, seek his f- face continually. Seek the Lord, seek his strength, and seek his face continually. Let's talk about a few of the boats that Simon Peter found himself in. One was a boat of grief. He was grieving with those other guys. He was grieving not only the loss of his friend, but the loss of his direction, the loss of his vision, the loss of his purpose. He was in grief mode, but not the same exact mode as the chapter before when Mary Magdalene shows up at the tomb. And the gardener says, what are you looking for? If you have taken him, show us where you have laid him. And Jesus says, Mary, and Mary says, Rabboni. In other words, it's the Lord. In Mary's grief, she recognized the presence of Jesus. There's another boat. Now, I will tell you this about grief. It's a godly thing to grieve. Acts 8.2 says, And godly men mourn greatly for Stephen. It's a godly thing to grieve. He gave us grief to help us deal. I just don't believe he wants you to grieve the rest of your life as one who has no hope. There is a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. And if you can't get past that time to weep, look and see if the gardener might just be Jesus. Another boat is, is fear. I told you, Simon Peter swung his sword. He wasn't going for the guy's ear. He was trying to whoop, lop off his head. He was bad. He wasn't back down from anybody. And that's how men are. You know what? Oh, you feel froggy? You want to jump? Come on, let's roll. Oh, you got an ugly cousin. Let's do this thing. <laughs> Two of you. Woo, three of you. I got my adrenaline flowing. There's a thousand of you. I'm about to die. I'm about to die. That's where they were at. Thousands against them. They're about to die. So they were locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus manifests himself and walks into their midst. If you're afraid today, you need to see if Jesus may just be closer than you think. And then another boat is doubt. That's why they're out there. They doubt that anything Jesus said was true. Same as Thomas in the chapter before. In the midst of that doubting room, Jesus appears and says, don't, don't doubt, but be believing. Here, put your hand right here in my hand. Put your, put your hand on my side. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He says, it's the Lord. <laughs> and Jesus says, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. You know, if Satan can't steal your soul, he's going to go straight for your faith because it moves mountains, it pleases God. It's the victory that overcomes the world. It's the, it's the shield that quenches all the fiery darts of hell. Faith is powerful, so if you're in doubt today, it's normal and natural. It's just not supernatural. See if the Lord may be close. But let's just camp a little more specifically on Peter. He was in a boat called frustration. I put all my chips in the middle of this table. I bet the whole thing on Jesus, and he has let me down. I'm going fishing. Ever felt that way? You feel like I've gone two steps forward, but three steps back, and two steps forward, and three steps. before, you know what, you way back here. Anybody ever felt that way before? That's a good place to see if Jesus might just show up on the shore 300 feet away. They didn't recognize him. Why? Maybe the Holy Spirit blinded their eyes. He had a hole in his hand inside, so maybe he still had some bruising or something from the beatings that he had. Maybe it was just too far away, 300 feet. The light might have been wrong. But there he was in the midst of Peter's frustration. But if you want to be homiletically, exegetically, and hermeneutically correct, You know when he recognized Jesus? In the middle of his success. Fished all night, but I caught no fishes. 153. Studying for this message, Jerome, an ancient ancient theologian, says, There were 153 fish because there were 153 known varieties of fish in the earth at that moment. To which I say, man, you're smart. You counted all of them way back then. Wow. Cyril of Alexander said there were 153 fish because 100 represented the Gentiles, 50 represented the Jews, and three represented the Trinity. And you know there's somebody in the Alabama, Hills and Hollers or West Virginia somewhere. You know somebody has preached this. Whoo, you can't throw yourself on the left side. Left side politics is wrong. It's the right side. You know somebody's preached that before. You know somebody's preached that. How about this? How about it was just 153 big fish? And even blustery Simon Peter had to know. I ain't that good. He wasn't about to start webinars. How to go from zero to 153 in two and a half seconds. Follow my method. Follow my formula. When he saw that, he left those fish because it wasn't never about those fish anyway, was it? And he jumped in the water. If everything in your life is going great, you're fully self-actualized, your bank account is bigger than it's ever been, you've got better relationships, that's a good place to recognize Jesus in the midst of. That him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So he recognized in his success, and he was also separated. He was in a boat called Separation, separated from the Lord, only 300 feet, close enough to see a figure. That's the way a lot of people do in our churches. They're close enough to see something's up there, something's out there, something's going on. They're hearing something, but he was separated. What did he think when he hit that water? Deja vu all over again, right? I was on this, this, I've seen this movie before. I was on this volcanic rock or these sandy beaches. I was on this beach when he walked with me a few years ago and said, you're going to fish for men. And there he's back on the beach when he got close enough to see the coal. What did he think? There's only two places in the Bible that talk about a charcoal fire. One is when Simon Peter's having the worst day of his life Denying the Lord. Even a middle school girl intimidated him. And having done 65 youth camps, I can tell you that they still intimidate me just a little bit as well. Hey, I know you. you weren't you with him? And Matthew's gospel says he said, I don't know him. Shut up. Cuss, curse, cuss, curse. Swear. Turn into a, a fisherman for real. Cussing. Separated. So three times over charcoal fire now he has been denying the Lord and now three times over charcoal fire the Lord is going to make him pledge loyalty in a moment to restore him. He's already appeared to him privately but because he denied him publicly now he's going to make a public demand for reconciliation. And he says to Peter, do you love me? We have one word in the English language for love. I love you, Lord. I love my truck. I love cheese grits. Oh, I love fish. One word for all of it. But the Greeks have three. You know that. Eros, erotic, marital love. Philio friendship love. And agape is unconditional, awesome, pure love. I just love you because I love you. Jesus says, do you agape me? And three times Peter says, I filio you. You're my buddy, I'm a fan of yours. It wasn't a debate about whether he loved Jesus. It was the nature of the love. Jesus is so cool. The third time, he meets him where he's at and says, do you feel he owe me? He's separated. Do you love me more than these? What's these? Do you love me more than these 153 large fish and the net's not broken? No, I don't think he meant that. Do you love me more than these Fisherman buddies, do you love me or them? I don't think he meant that. It's my personal opinion, Pastor can straighten me out later, that he's saying, You remember how you said you would never leave me, no matter what, that you pledged your life to me because your love was superior? I'm asking you on this beach, Do you love me more than they love me? And that hurt Peter. It says he was grieved, and you look at the word, and it means it connotes physical, even pain,
1: emotional
0: distress. Oswald Chambers says, Have you ever felt the hurt of the Lord? Peter is feeling the hurt of the Lord in his separation. And when he says, You know, you know everything, that's when he gets on a moving sidewalk of reconciliation. Isn't that awesome? That's how God is. He wants to restore Samson. He wants to give Jonah another chance. He says to John Mark, even though he deserted you, (coughs) bring him to me. He's useful in the ministry. David is reconciled and now Peter is reconciled. Do you love me? Jesus didn't get legalistic and say, i tell you what, you're going to have to sign this vow and this covenant to come back just talked about love. Do you love me? And then he restores him over breakfast. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Jesus is God and God is making breakfast on the beach for a bunch of sinners, quitters not that sound like Revelation 3? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. And not that sound the same? I wrote a poem. I was going down to do comedy at Teen Challenge uh, in Orlando for all the directors in the southeast 13 years ago, and I got a poem on a Delta flight. I know I don't look like a poet unless it's a redneck poet or a truck stop poet or something like that. I know I don't look like a poet, but I got this poem, and, and it was about a subject matter that I personally... Have no patience. It's about failure. And when clergy fail, it does ripple effects in the body of Christ. So I know that this poem came from the Lord because I'm not bent towards this. It's called Tainted. i quote this brief poem. I want you to think about Peter as you hear the words. Out of the ashes of a devastated soul through the smoke-clearing vistas of sinful toll. Steps a preacher. Steps a Christian. Written off long ago publicly disgraced for his prodigal show. He landed on a heap of clergy tainted. His sin was broadcast and the faithful fainted. No one gets a pass from this nebulous shadow. How's he even standing in this infamous meadow? Settling in a sediment of black despair, barely could the preacher gasp, hope, sweet air. But a voice settled with him, though he could barely hear it. The whisper of one dwelling with a contrite spirit and the voice said, Stand, grace has come for you. And grace has brought life, the way, and the truth. By faith, he took one step on broken reputations, and each step that followed brought a kind confirmation. Like Samson at his end, a glory has returned. Redemption is delivered to a man once spurned, walking back to a ministry, though not the same, chiseled to simplicity by despair and shame. the Preacher, now humbled, walks out from the ashamed, God's mercy has reclothed him, and he has been renamed outcast. He is no longer, for he has been rescued. A minister once more, a man for God to use. Wouldn't that apply to Peter? Wouldn't that apply? The last boat, I'll take 20 seconds to talk about an uncertain future. See, Jesus doesn't, doesn't gloss over, and he doesn't, Bait and switch, he says to Peter in this reconciliation moment, he says, you're going to go somewhere in the future you don't want to go, signifying the death. Eusebius says an upside-down crucifixion, the death with which Peter would glorify God. So when you see Jesus, what are you supposed to do? You go home, you get your diary, and you say,
1: Dear
0: diary, today I saw Jesus and also donuts are delicious at the end. No, you're supposed to do something with that. You don't just experience Jesus so that we can have personal Holy Ghost doodads running up and down our spine. What did he say to the lady at the tomb? Go tell. That's your assignment. Go tell the brothers. What did he say to the guys that were terrified? Have peace. Stop being so afraid. Calibrate your own heart with Peace. What did he say? He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Do something. Here's power. Of all the things he could say, he said, Forgive your brothers and sisters. But specifically to Peter, he says, Do your job. Do you love me? You know everything. You know I do. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. He didn't say, Pastor. Do you love the art and the act of feeding? He didn't say, do you love of the lambs? People are in ministry because they love ministry. Oh, I just love working in the nursery. I love the babies. I love the babies so much. If that's the only reason you're doing it. There's a diaper sometime in the future that will change your paradigm, I promise you. I <laughs> prognosticate that to you. It's not about loving the babies. I love Wally and Val and this church. And I do enjoy the gifts God has given to me, but I'm not holding this microphone away from my beautiful wife for these many days because I love him. I'm doing it because I love him. That's the deal. That's the deal. Do you love me? Then do your job. Now, Peter, I love him because I relate to him. One translation of one scripture says, Peter, not knowing what to say, spoke. <laughs> that's That's me. You can't talk as much as we do and not say something stupid from time to time. When's a baby due? What baby? I'm gonna be over here to beanie weenies. God bless you. I didn't know. I mean, I never make that mistake again. Is this your daughter? Oh, she's your wife. Okay, for the rest of my life. Is this your close relative? Awesome. Wonderful. Peter just got reconciled to Jesus, and what does he do? Instead of worship, he turns around and sees John and says, What about that guy? That's dangerous. When that gets into the body of Christ, it messes up all kind of stuff. I'm a better singer than that guy. What about that guy? It's a trick for pastors. I'm working myself 80 hours a week, and then somebody just gave that guy a million dollars. What about that guy? It works that way for evangelists. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. My parents tried to kill me. That's true. And I can live there the rest of my life and say, what about that guy? Jesus gives him this in the Greek. It's none of It's none your business. <laughs> it's none of your business about that guy. If I want that guy to wait till I come back, what is that to you? Mind your business and do your job. Luke 22, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And after you repent, you'll, you'll do your job. You'll strengthen the brethren. All of you in this place have a job. Each one of us, God has given a spiritual gift. Find out what it is. Administration, helps, hospitality, tongues, interpretation, tongues, healing, whatever it is, do your job. And then finally, follow me. Follow me, follow me. When you see Jesus, that's what we, we got to follow him. Follow his instructions. I'm proud of Peter. He didn't say, now wait a minute, Lord, you said at the beginning that I'm supposed, supposed to fish for men. Now I'm supposed to feed sheep. I'm just confused. Am I a men feeder or a sheep feeder? What am I doing? The answer is yes. The call of God is irrevocable. The nuances of it change. Follow me is the core. The band is coming up. I'm going to give an invitation. You know, Simon Peter, hanging upside down on a cross is in a boat of an uncertain future, becoming more and more certain with every moment that passes. And do you understand that the same Jesus of the upside down cross is the same Jesus of the 153 fish? He's the same. The circumstances are different. I don't know what Peter said out of his his mouth during his last words. I do know Acts 7.56 says that when Stephen was being stoned to death, that he looked into heaven and said, It's the Lord. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I wonder if Peter, hanging upside down, the last thing he said was, It's hope that's the last thing you can say, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this great congregation. Thank you for this message you've dropped into my spirit. I pray for them now. I pray for them now. Congregation, very reverently, I'm going to ask all of you that can to stand to your feet in the Lord's presence. Service is certainly not over. This is the most important part. I remember so many years ago on a dance floor, 35 years ago to be exact, dancing over the loudspeaker, playing cool in the gang and Rick James and all of that stuff. I'd been to church seven weeks, never gave my heart to Jesus. But I heard a voice, louder than a voice, say to me, Joe, I love you. I got something better for you than this. I began to weep. I was dancing on the floor that night with some married lady. I remember that. When I started crying, all the four Benning guys were pointing. I could read their lips. He's drunk. I was too broke to be drunk. I wasn't drunk. My spirit man leapt inside, and I said, it's the Lord. And that night I walked out of darkness into the light, and I ain't never been back to the darkness. Hallelujah. Maybe this is your it's the Lord moment. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Heads bowed nice and eyes closed before pastor comes to dismiss. i got to ask you a question. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven? I'm not trying to scare you. It's just a fact. It's appointed unto man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. You saw in the news this week, two twin girls, two twin women, I think from Texas or somewhere, walking down a beach in Cozumel. A 15-foot rogue wave came and swept them out to, to their death can happen just like that. Do you know if something, God forbid, happened to you that to be absent from your body like the Bible says you would immediately be present with the Lord? If you don't know that, I got good news for you. You can know it. You can know it. You can know it. You can know it today. I want to count to three as a point of reference, not as a gimmick, but as a point of reference. So when I say the number three, you'll know if you are separated 300 feet 3,000 miles, 3 feet. You're away from God. You don't know that your name is written in heaven. When I say the number three in a moment, you raise your hand high right where you are, and we'll bless the Lord and pray with you, okay? One, Joe, I need Jesus. Take me to the king. I'm away from God. I, I know that if my heart stopped beating, I'm just not sure that I'd go to heaven. I want to know. Two, That's good news because he wants you to know. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This could be the spark moment for your life and for others. He wants you to know. The Bible says these things are written that you might know, K-N-O-W, that you have eternal life. This is your moment. Are you ready? I promise you. He's ready. He loves you with an everlasting love. You're the apple of his eye. Whosoever will. He'll, he'll come into whosoever will—murderers, backbiters, liars, weirdos out in the middle of the pond fishing away from their calling. No matter where you are, or who you are, he'll forgive you of your sin. Nothing you've done is too bad for the Lord to forgive. I promise you that. You ready? When I say this number, if you're away from God, heads are bowed, and eyes are closed, just lift your hand high to the Lord. I want to pray with you right where you are. Ready? Three, raise your hand. I'm away from God, preacher. I'm away from God. Keep it up for a moment. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. I'm counting eight people. You may put your hands down. Hallelujah. You're the spark. You're the spark. Lord, this church prays for these eight people people that say I'm 300 feet away but I want to grab my coat and jump in the water and get to the king we're praying for them Lord we're praying that they'll understand, repent believe and trust only in Jesus Christ for their eternal life we pray for them now Lord we pray for them you'll help them even as they say a simple prayer like this I'm going to stutter a prayer on purpose slowly, make it your prayer, fill in the blank, pray it right to the Lord where where you're standing Here I am, God. Dear God, here I am. I am sorry for my bad thoughts. And I'm sorry for my bad words. And I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for my sin. I confess my sin. But with my mouth, I confess Jesus is Lord. Church, I want all of us to say Jesus is Lord together loud. And then we'll get back to the prayer. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Back to our prayer. With my mouth, I confess Jesus is Lord. And in my heart, I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Come into my life and live in me. I want you to help me. I give you my life, give, and I take your life for right now. And so this church prays that the roots of growth are going to go really, really deep in these individual lives. And that the fruit of discipleship is going to go really, really high. And that you're going to bless these people and that nothing will steal what you are planning in their heart from this day forward and forevermore. Help them in Jesus' name. Church, let's give God praise today.